The reading for today is 1 Samuel 12, 1 through 7. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from the hand of Saul. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks, George. Good morning. Well, here we are, about halfway through our series, I guess, on the, the eight habits of love. And um, I've really enjoyed it so far. I hope that, that you're not getting the impression, though, from uh, neither Bruce nor myself that, that we think we are experts in any way on any of these habits. Uh, we are far from experts. We are travelers on this journey with you. And I can honestly say that when it comes to the habit of candor, uh, I have learned more about this from the mistakes that I have made than um, from where I've gotten this right. I've learned more from where I've gotten this wrong than I have from where I've gotten this right. But as Bruce mentioned last week, if we view life with the eyes of a learner, uh, we are then in the right position to move forward and to mature in our lives in productive ways. So let's all take that posture together this morning. Uh, the posture of a learner, being open-hearted, recognizing where we might need correction or illumination um, about this habit of candor as we explore that together this morning. Um, so let's start with just what candor is. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it this way. It's straightforward honesty or frankness in speech or expression. Now, perhaps some of you are currently out there thinking, well, that's great. Man, I speak freely all the time. I say what I think, and I do it in a clear, straightforward way. I am no, no nonsense here. But what if we add to this definition um, uh, some of what Ed Bacon, in his book, The Eight Habits of Love, offers to us, one that incorporates love into the definition of this straightforward, honest speech. Uh, defining candor as using our words so that we can give voice to our loving selves in such a way that the other party to the conversation can more easily move from his or her fearful self to a loved and loving self. Now that's a mouthful. That's pretty deep, but that's the way we're talking about candor this morning. So candor 
is not just saying what's on your mind. Candor is not speaking the truth to someone in a careless way or in a way that seeks to condemn or prove wrong or belittle or exert power over someone. Candor is using your words to bring about healing in yourself and in another person and to hopefully set that relationship up for some restoration, for um, health, for healing, um, for forgiveness. <clears throat> Candor is about having courageous conversations. Um, when there's some sort of tension, there's some sort of stress, there's some sort of breakdown in a relationship that you have with another person or other people, um, candor is crucial. It's a crucial habit. So our scripture passage from 2 Samuel is a perfect example of someone using candor in order to bring about the restoration of another person. So this conversation Nathan had with King David in 2 Samuel chapter 12 took place after David had committed a pretty atrocious act, which is recounted in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So here's that scenario. Instead of going to battle with his armies like kings were supposed to do, David stayed home in, in comfort and in ease. And while he was home, where he shouldn't have been, he's on his rooftop one day and he sees this beautiful woman bathing. So... He inquires about who this woman is, and he's told that is Bathsheba. She is Eliam's daughter. She is Uriah the Hittite's wife. But David didn't see Bathsheba as a person with a name, a family, a husband, a story. He objectified her. He dehumanized her, seeing her simply as an object that could satisfy his desire, and so he sent for her. Now, when Bathsheba became pregnant, David sought to cover it up by calling her husband Uriah home from battle. Well, when that cover-up scheme didn't work, David resorted to setting Uriah up to be killed. And once Uriah had been killed, David took Bathsheba in as his wife. And then we read what may be the most classic example of understatement in Scripture but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. <laughs> you bet it did. <laughs> and, and so the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to speak to David, to hold him accountable to what he had done. Now talk about a courageous conversation, right? Because what kind of courage must it have taken uh, for Nathan to talk to David about this? Because think about it, David was the king. And if David didn't like what Nathan said, it was within his power to have Nathan killed. And based on what David had do just done, perhaps that wasn't too far out of the realm of possibility. I mean, have you ever thought about what a tough job the prophets had? I mean, Samuel, the prophet before Nathan, was the one who had to have difficult and courageous conversations with King Saul all of the time because Saul was often let's see what is the biblical term for this 
a hot mess. Saul was often a hot mess. And so prophets didn't always get to deliver these happy, easy, full of joy, everybody's going to love this kind of message. They had to speak difficult, sometimes painful truths to God's people. But the goal and purpose of this was always to awaken God's people to the truth, to help them see things the way God saw them, and to give them the opportunity to turn back and to be forgiven and to be restored in relationship with God and in relationship with the people around them. Now that is exactly what Nathan was called to do with King David, to have a courageous conversation, to speak with candor, to use his words in a way that would move David out of this place of selfishness where somehow he had just eased his way over into, and to bring him back into living from a place of love, to help him see his actions the way God saw them, to draw him to a place of repentance that would lead to forgiveness and it would lead to restoration. And based on the amazing craftsmanship of this parable that immediately stirred David's emotions over the cruelty of the man in the story and served to awaken him to the cruelty with which he had acted toward Bathsheba and Uriah, it seems very likely to me that Nathan did not rush into having this encounter with David and instead took time to be prayerful about what he would say when he would say it, and how he would say it before he ever met with David. And you know, David heard Nathan. He heard his heart. He heard God's heart. He saw what he needed to see, and he earnestly repented. And then Nathan let David know that God forgave him. Now, there were consequences. But you see, now David is in a better position to deal with the consequences of his actions as a result of this courageous conversation that Nathan had with him. So our situations will be different from this. They'll be different. But candor is a crucially important habit for us to to develop. Most of us, however, avoid having these kinds of courageous conversations with other people. Why? Well, fear. Fear is a big reason. Fear of conflict. I hate conflict. Fear of confrontation. We play the what if game. What if they reject me? What if they lash out at me? What if I just embarrass myself? What if I cause such a disruption within my family or my work environment that it's unrecoverable? Guys, we will what if and fear ourselves right out of potential healing and restoration. Look, if you are in a strained relationship, you already know what the status quo is like. But what if you were brave and loving and honest and you used some kind and loving and courageous words And what if that brought about healing in that relationship? What would that look like? 
I mean, that's the potential you miss out on when you fear yourself away from speaking in love with another. Pride is another reason we will avoid uh, candor. I want to be right and I want to prove you wrong. Well, I can't use candor, I can't speak with candor if that's my motivation. Um, pride does not consider the possibility that perhaps we have contributed to the brokenness of that relationship in some way. And it certainly doesn't want the other person to say anything of the sort to us. And so we avoid the conversations altogether because we don't want to listen. We don't want to seek to understand the other person's perspective. Pride. The third reason we avoid candor is simply because avoidance is easier. <laughs> Avoidance is easier. Well, sure, it's easier. Just like getting fast food is easier than cooking your meal at home and sitting on the sofa eating potato chips is a lot easier than exercising. But which is healthier for your body and your mind? Right? Candor is not easy, but it is the way our strained relationships have the opportunity to mature and thrive and heal. Think about it. What if Nathan had decided that it was too hard to have that conversation with David? What if he had not approached him in this way? Where would that have left David? You see, the conversation gave David the opportunity to see what he needed to see about himself, how his actions had impacted others. And consider this, had Nathan not had this conversation with David, Nathan would have missed the opportunity to see David's response, to see him step into healing. Also, how might it have affected Nathan and David's relationship if Nathan had avoided the conversation? How might it have impacted Nathan's ability to say other crucially important things to David in the future. Perhaps Nathan would have buried that and then harbored resentment against David because he never said anything. You know, perhaps there would have been a permanent lack of trust between the two of them. How might David have continued to act out of that unhealthy place? And what impact would that have had on the kingdom and the people around him if Nathan had never said anything? And Nathan did the hard thing. He did the courageous thing. And it resulted in forgiveness and restoration. So yes, candor is hard. But it is definitely a habit we need to practice. So let's talk about, briefly, what it looks like to practice candor. How can we prepare ourselves? How can we go about this to be the most successful in this? Um, first, check your motivations. Practicing candor cannot be achieved without some expression of love. So why do you want to have this conversation? Um, if you're seeking to be right or to impose your power on someone else, um, if you are trying to make yourself out to be the hero, or the victim, 
in order to bring shame or embarrassment upon the person or to belittle them in any way. Your motivation is not coming from a place of love. You see, if I approach another person with my own interest at heart, but not the best interest of the other person at heart, my words will be used to make me right and you wrong. My words will more than likely also not contain compassion because my focus is on myself and not you. I care about how I feel, but not so much about how you feel. And very likely, my focus will be on achieving one desired outcome that suits my own interest, but may or may not be in the best interest of the other person. So a great place to check your motivations is in a place of stillness. So now we're going back to another habit that we've talked about, and that's a second thing to remember about candor. We actually need to practice the habit of stillness before and during the practice of candor. So before, in your place of stillness and prayer, imagine how you want to be feeling after the conversation and what shape you want that relationship to be in after the conversation. So that will compel you to use loving, compassionate words because you have that image of a reconciled relationship, a healed relationship, a healing relationship in mind instead of the lesser value of being right. Right, I want to move us into a place of healing. I don't, I don't have to be right. That's not my priority. So while you're in the middle of the, the courageous conversation, also remember to practice stillness, right, by relaxing your muscles and having a pleasant or gentle look on your face and breathing. We hold our breath when we get stressed, don't we? we like that whole thing, right? Consider what your body language is going to contribute to the conversation. You know, it says a lot says a lot. Third, be mindful uh, about when, where, and how to have this conversation. Remember, courageous conversations are more fruitful when they are undertaken on neutral territory, on a one-to-one -one basis, and after a cooling off period. Now let me just put this out there. Online platforms are not the appropriate places to engage in these types of conversations. Too many times people are having difficult conversations online instead of doing the hard work of speaking with people face to face in love and with candor. Social media platforms, email, texting, group chats, they are insufficient for these types of crucial conversations. There's too much opportunity to make assumptions about others, to misinterpret what someone is saying, and to disrespect others, which is a form of love. Respect is an aspect of love. To disrespect others using words loaded with emotion and vengeance. Instead of seeking to hear and understand and build healthy relationship, the motivation online is often to prove someone wrong, to belittle or discredit them. 
Also, it's too easy to dehumanize someone and speak with hostility when you're online because others are just words on a screen with a profile picture. You can't see someone's face. You know, you can't hear their tone of voice. And on these types of platforms, we often don't take the time to think about the words we're going to put out there before we hit send. <laughs> How many times have you hit send on a social media post, uh, a, a group text message or any kind of text message, group chat, email, and shortly after regretted it, thinking maybe I should have waited a bit before I hit send, right? Online platforms like that, they do not meet those qualifications of neutral territory, one-to-one -one basis after a cooling off period. They don't qualify. So don't use them for that. Remember, what you put out online, it's out there forever, and it's out there for everybody to see it. Not just whoever you're talking straight to. The beauty of meeting face-to-face, -face, which sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes that's not possible, but sometimes it is. And the beauty of meeting face-to-face -face in a neutral environment is that you can see someone and you can hear someone. You're more likely to choose your words carefully when you're face-to-face -face with someone because you're encountering their humanity. And being confronted with someone's humanity curtails our capacity for hostility. It really does. See, now they're a human being. What did you have for breakfast? What's your family doing today? Right? They're a real person. Face-to-face -face encounters with an individual with a name and a face, it calls out our own empathy and compassion. Now, I'm not saying that social media is the devil, and I'm not saying that positive things can't happen on social media, but depending on how it's used, it can be like eating nothing but fast food. You know, when we read the vitriol or we contribute to the vitriol that is spewed out in careless ways on social media, it makes us sick. And it makes everyone who reads it a little sicker, too. You know, I don't have to participate in it for it to impact me. I can be a passive bystander to someone else's venom and toxicity directed at somebody else, and I'm impacted negatively. Think about how you use your words. Ed Bacon says this, though that every time any one of us practices the habit of candor, even in the most pedestrian appearing encounter, we have made a significant contribution to peace on this planet. That is how momentous candor is. It is what the world aches for. Guys, you really don't want to live in conflict with the people around you. You don't. You want peace. That is what you want. And that is what the world is craving. So be an agent of peace and love with your words. Last, last point for this morning, be aware that there may be people with whom you are not able to have a successful, candid conversation. You know, candor can't be coercive. You can't force someone into that kind of conversation. You can invite them into it. You can ask them if they're ready for it. And you can be patient and wait until they are, but sometimes they may not be. And just keep in mind that, that candor doesn't always have a tidy outcome. You know, it, it doesn't always just work out the way you, you hope or imagine or pray that it will. 
but you want to be loving. And, and to be loving, you've got to be unattached to the outcome. So just make your best efforts. Be loving, be prayerful, be kind, be mindful of, of when, what, how. And, and if you've done your very best, then leave the rest in the hands of your father. He's, he can hold on to that for you. So I encourage you, if you haven't yet gotten a copy of The Eight Habits of Love by Ed Bacon, get a copy, even if just for this chapter. It is rich. It is full. He gives some wonderful stories and examples, more than I have time to do this morning. And another book I highly recommend is by Arthur C. Brooks. It's called Love Your Enemies. So good. And he, he talks a lot about contempt and, and love and using your words in helpful healing ways. Um, he brings it into the realm of our, our politics, you know, and how that all plays out and how we can contribute in loving and healthy ways. Uh, and in that arena too and of course the scriptures hey they're full of powerful teaching about the importance of building others up with our words and and living at peace with others so I will just close this morning with these two passages from Romans 12 and Romans 13 bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse them Live in harmony with one another. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You got to start with love. You got to start with love with your words. So let's contribute love into the world um, by being brave, even in the, our most strained relationships. And remember, you're not doing this on your own power. Don't do it on your own power. Don't do it. The Holy Spirit fills you with his power and he will give you the words to say and he will teach you when to keep your mouth shut <laughs> don't do it on your own power the holy spirit will strengthen you and he will give you the love you need amen amen let's pray together lord jesus thank you for your example of of loving loving the people around you for remaining calm in tense situations, for always using your words to speak the truth, to help people hear and see and become better. Lord, that is what you want for all of us. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for all of the ways that we have gotten this wrong. Help us to receive the candor from others when they approach us. And help us to consider how we'd want someone to speak to us when we use our words with them. Lord, heal us, and restore us, and make us into the people that you desire us to be. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.